Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, scalosians, and things to episode 67 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? The Star Trek. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering Muppet Show with special guest star Leslie Uggams and Star Trek original series episode, Wink of an Eye. And tell us about who this Leslie Uggams person is, Steve. Uh, Leslie Uggams is an American actress, singer, and uh, and performer. She started as a child actor in the 50s and earned herself a Golden Globe and Emmy nomination for her role as Kizzy in the Roots miniseries. Oh. She was in the Broadway show Hallelujah, Baby, in the late 60s, which won her a Tony Award as well. But what does our audience know her from? Probably Roots, or more recently, uh, she was in Deadpool, (laughs) playing his blind friend and roommate. Yes, she's great in that, too. Um, Yeah, so that is probably what almost everyone in, in our generation knows her from, except for maybe Roots. Right. So this week on The Muppet Show, what's happening? Well, backstage, most of the backstage plot focuses around the fact that Gonzo is shamelessly flirting and courting with Camilla, but it fails miserably. Big Bird makes a cameo backstage. Piggy is outraged when Big Bird doesn't know who she is and tries to chop him, and he stays super innocent, and she falls over the banister and hurts herself. (laughs) Because who could hurt Big Bird? Finally, she hasn't hurt someone. (laughs) On stage this week, Leslie hits the stage with a gaggle of full-body monsters and perform Hey There, Good Times. It's a nice, upbeat opening number. Next, we visit the Muppet Labs in what feels like the first time in forever. Uh, They're testing fireproof paper. Beaker comes in holding an actual live blowtorch. An actual live blowtorch (laughs) in a puppet's hand. It sets a bunch of paper on fire, then tries to put it out with what turns out to be their new flammable water. (laughs) After this, we get Lou Zealand and Leslie on stage, which devolves into multiple fish jokes. Leslie then breaks into here you come again, while Lou accompanies her on the fish, quote unquote. (laughs) Piggy and Rolf take the stage. She performs Mad About the Frog, a jazzy, jazzy tune about her obsession with Kermit. It's real sweet. Up next, we have a bear on patrol, which will become a more standard thing moving forward, where Fozzie drags in a, a uh, drags in a perpetrator and charges him with impersonating an officer. He then does an impression of Fozzie who gets trapped in the jail cell and makes his exit while Link Hogthrob sits around uselessly. We then get the return of Vendawish, a reimagining of Vendaface from season one. Somehow mm-hmm. uh, the person wishes to be taller and Vendaface stretches out their neck and sends them on their way. Gonzo takes the stage with Camilla and Sarah nades her. It's a sweet and silly number. Big Bird enters. Gonzo flirts. Big Bird is incredibly innocent and coy. And Camilla is not pleased. Leslie then hits the stage as a bird watcher. Big Bird joins her and they perform Love Will Keep Us Together. And it's a fun closing number. Kermit thanks Leslie one last time. And that is what we call The Muppet Show. Jaron, what did you think of this week's episode with Leslie Uggams? Um... I'll first say I love that it was the first time I've seen like Leslie Uggams and guest starring Big Bird. Like they'd never done that before. That was nice. Um, and I love Big Bird. So great that it's a he, right? Big Bird is a he. 
Big Bird is a, definitely a he. Okay. We'll to get my to understanding. <laughs> Someone out there may correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I believe Big Bird is a he. But it's cool. It's the first time he's meeting a lot of these Muppets, and especially Miss Piggy. Like she says, it's the first time I'm meeting you. And like, that's pretty neat. You can see their first time meeting. And apparently the first uh, open um, flirtation between two males on a Muppet episode <laughs> between Gonzo right? and Big Bird. So but it's extra screwed up because because Big Bird is like perpetually five years old. That's a little screwed up, too. Yeah. So it's a little bit messed up. But he's uh, huge. <laughs> um, <laughs> so as far as Leslie Uggams, though, I I think she was a fantastic performer. She seems very talented. Um, I just think that the writing was kind of lacking for her on this episode. Like there nothing stood out as particularly super funny or um, mind blowing. Um, it was all just like, oh, that's pretty good. She's like great, unique to her. Yeah, it wasn't very unique to her. She seemed like a very solid performer, pretty good with the Muppets. But I thought like the Fozzie Bear on Patrol sketch was actually really funny. I actually liked that a lot. Um, but overall, just kind of a middle of the road episode for me. Nothing really standing out. Yeah, I, I can I can agree with that. She did what interaction she did do with the Muppets went pretty well, but it was limited because yeah. that first thing just equates to a dance number with a bunch of dancers. True. Like, yeah, there were costumes, involved, but she wasn't interacting with Muppets, Muppets. And she also kind of broke into a cheesy smile at the end of every sketch. And I was like, okay, you don't have to do that every time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's on the same pay scale as Lena Horn, where the more teeth she shows, <laughs> The more she gets paid. <laughs> you see these horns? I remember Lena Horn. She just, it was like both top and bottom were bare all the time. <laughs> She's a happy person. So happy. Um, Yeah, I think middle of the ground episode. Middle road episode for this season. But not Absolutely. bad. Not offensive. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't racially insensitive like the last one. So it's got that going for it. <laughs> yep. Uh, the music this week, Hey There, Good Times, from the musical I Love My Wife. It's one of those musicals you haven't heard of, but it's about a Christmas evening in New Jersey where two married couples uh, contemplate having a menage a cat. Ooh, how, much, how many is that? Four? Five? Four. Ah, okay. Here You Come Again, made famous by Dolly Parton on her 1977 album. This marked one of the f- uh, one of the songs that made Dolly a crossover sensation from strictly country audiences to more mainstream. It was number one. Uh, for five weeks in the country chart and got to number three on the billboard regular top 100 mm. mad about the boy frog uh <laughs> from a broadway review uh by noel coward ah. made popular by a 60s recording by dinah washington uh sad departure and death for dinah washington she died at the age of 39 Tess later revealed that she accidentally overdosed on pers- on two prescriptions one for her insomnia and the other for her diet both of which were barbiturates. Oh, geez. Right. Different time. Yep. Gonzo's song. Uh, this is another Muppet show original written by uh, musical associate, Derek Scott. He also wrote um, Muppet limbo and pig Calypso. Ah, gotcha. Love will keep us together. Made famous by captain and Tennille in 1975, actually first recorded by Neil Sadaka. Mm. Sadaka also wrote famous songs such as Calendar Girl and Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Very nice songs. Jeremy, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? I mean, there wasn't a lot of things to choose from, I didn't think necessarily, but I thought I agree. the Hey There are Good Times was a very impressive dance number with those same great dancers and choreography and those big costumes. So I think that was handled very well, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to give it to Muppet Labs because as I said, 
actual live <laughs> blowtorch in Beaker's hand. Near felt. Felt everywhere. <laughs> felt everywhere. And then actually lit a basket of paper on fire on camera. And then they had an additional fire effect mm-hmm. when she used the flammable water that like traveled across stage. It was very intense. That's a good point. That was very dangerous and hard to do well. Incredibly dangerous. I hope they were being safe. (laughs) Oh, man. If I was Richard Hunt, I'd be pooping my pants. (laughs) Glad they made it through. (laughs) Uh, So, Jeremy, what happened on Star Trek, the original series this week? All right. So this episode we have called Wink of an Eye. And I had forgotten all about this episode, but I really like some features of this. So. The Enterprise, as usual, is responding to a distress call, and this time it's at the planet Skalos. Um, so Captain Kirk beams down the landing party, and they see no evidence of life, except for this strange, like, insect-like buzzing around their ears. Like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, a red shirt, Crewman Compton, just disappears in front of Bones' eyes, and he turns green and just disappears suddenly. So Kirk orders the team back to the Enterprise, and... On their return to the ship, they start experiencing strange malfunctions all over the ship as things start being shut down, and suddenly an unknown device is attached to the ship's life support systems. They're like, what the hell's going on? So they try to get the computer to figure out what's going on. The computer is also baffled. Um, Back on the bridge, uh, Kirk just says, we can't do anything right now. The computer is baffled. What are we going to do? And he's like, well, we're just going to let them decide their next step. Whoever this enemy is that we can't see, let them do the next thing, and we'll figure it out from there. Takes a sip of his coffee. Suddenly he disappears. But um, when he reappears, we see that everyone else around him is really, really moving slow and strange. And he's actually there with a woman who introduces herself as Dila and calls herself the enemy, strangely enough. And she explains that basically they're a race of people that are on a higher frequency. They're, they're moving at an extremely fast rate compared to regular humans. So to him... To everyone else on the ship, he basically disappeared, but really he's moving just super fast. And so basically he's paced in a state of hyper acceleration, running invisible to the rest of his crew, but allowing him to see and hear the other Skalosians, which is their name of these alien people. And he figures out that basically they have lured them here to get sex buddies because a long time ago their planet was hit with some kind of radiation, which made all the males sterile. So every generation, they have to go and get alien people to come over their mate with, um, and they have to bring them to their frequency first. And it wasn't quite clear to me, unless I missed a line, but that once they're brought to that frequency, somehow the aliens are then made docile over time. And it wasn't really made clear if that was just Kirk mentioned it once, and then it never really came up again. Right, and and she implies it's like a it's like a mind it's a mind uh, control thing. Like eventually they will become docile. So that a matter of times, Kirk will just be accepting of his fate but she like immediately goes in for making out with him like the whole time she really seems to like him a lot and apparently that red shirt before compton has already been turned docile and he's helping um them take over the enterprise so basically kirk records on a on a disc um for the rest of the crew to hopefully find exactly what's going on and dila lets him do it because she's like they'll never find it it's not going to work and uh, they also finds out that basically they're going to freeze the entire crew there above their planet because then whenever they need more more warm bodies to impregnate them, they'll unfreeze the ship, get a couple more males, and then freeze it again. So they definitely don't want this to happen. And so we also find out that the, the device that they put onto the ship in the engineering department, that's what's going to turn their whole ship into a cryogenic storage unit, basically. So... 
We also have this other guy that's with Dila called Rail, um, and he's apparently in love with Dila, but he has to come to terms with the fact that Dila needs to go mate with another male because he's sterile. So he's kind of just angry at Kirk for being around and making out with Dila all the time. So Kirk trying to basically convinces Dila that he's now become docile and just wants to go with her and be a, a mate bunny for a long time. Um, but right when they arrive, they're going to the, um, uh, what do you call it? Transporters. Before they go to the transporters, he suddenly takes her weapon and tricks her into believing that he's docile when he's really not. Um, he gets her to um, back away. And meanwhile, Spock and Bones have figured out what's going on by listening to the um, listening to Kirk's recording uh, much slower. They are able to make a solvent solution that makes them turn fast as well and also an antidote to make them go back. So Spock's able to help Kirk take over the ship again. Um, do some repairs in the ship and they're able to send those people back to their planet. And it makes it sound like they're just going to let them die in that planet and not help them figure out their situation either, which is kind of bleak for Starfleet because they're going to boycott that whole area of space and not let anyone else go there, but also not help them. So that was kind of bleak at the end. Uh, but so Steve, what do you think of wink of an eye? All right. So some things it was, it was overall a good episode mm-hmm. and maybe one of the better ones we've experienced thus far in season three. Things I like unique on this. I'm not going to say enemy. That's not the right term, but super speedsters. Yeah. It was a super cool concept to watch them play out and really felt original for the show. Uh, I need, I liked the explanation that they're needed for sex. Right. (laughs) To reproduce. Snoo, snoo. (laughs) Uh, I I liked the sort of the, the socks, the Spock solving a mystery. But for real, because normally it all just happens in his head and then Spock says something brilliant, but him revisiting the footage and figuring out what the buzzing was and that the clues were around them all along. Right. It was kind of fun for once. Um, Spock rapid. And I love the ending with Spock rapidly fixing the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why didn't Spock come back yet? Because he's fixing everything in super speed. And then what a great like MacGuffin to fix everything so they can go. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, things I struggled with a little bit. Um, why were I, I feel like all of the costumes they made for the Flosians were for women. And they're like, oh, we got to cast some dudes. The men were all women wearing like shiny go-go dancer outfits or like raincoats like or something. Shoulders <laughs> and stuff. I was like, why are they? They just really feminized their costumes for whatever reason. That's true. It was the weird um, costumes. And then Kirk has to figure out a way how to, to, to kiss his way out of another one. I didn't like that aspect. And it's something I feel like we've kind of gotten away from for a while. So to see it come back, it's kind of, ugh. yeah, I'm going to seduce this woman who needs me for sex. So I don't really need to pr- seduce her. <laughs> what a rough life Kirk has. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and then I did love the Kirk pillow fight. Uh, this little bit of was pillow fight. Because <laughs> at one point the rail comes at him with a, it's not even a knife. It's like a, a rod. Yeah. He's going to whack him with a rod or something. Gonna whack him with a rod. And, and Kirk throws a pillow. <laughs> like a big, huge cushion for like a couch or yeah. something. <laughs> and then picks up a chair. Like he's a lion. I love it. Uh, so do we have some Trek factoids? Oh yeah. But real quick, I want to say about the oh, episode. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate that they're getting creative. Like you said, this is very cool sci-fi concept that we haven't seen before on Trek. Um, I think because they had still low budget, they had actually start thinking more sci-fi and less just like giant space aliens with godlike powers every episode. 
um, <laughs> which got really dull after a while. And I like the writing between Kirk and Dila actually, because I thought she was she was kind of badass in her own way. Um, she like when he tries to take her weapon, and she's like, no, 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 no. She's like, but I would have been I would have been disappointed if you didn't at least try to take my weapon. So I appreciate that. Like I was unexpected for '60s dialogue to like let her be like accepting of the fact that he took her weapon and still going in for a kiss, which is kind of neat. And maybe I criticized too hard because. You know, in this re- in this reality, in there, the Thelosians, the men are sterile. So maybe the the visual feminization was on purpose. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of, and she was the leader of these people, like she said in the beginning. She's she's the leader of them, and so so maybe that is a result. All of that is a result of men becoming sterile. That's true. They're kind of like become the more subservient of the race, right? Um, but yeah, and also I liked what you said, like there was science was the required for the solution, not just punching and blowing things up, um, even though that does happen in the episode a little bit at the end. They do punch a few things. And they do it to blow up the machine at the end, but they figured all that shit out because of science. And that was kind of neat. But yes, we do have some trivia for this episode. So this contains the second time in the original series, only the second time, where Kirk is seen in what can be presumed to be a post-coital situation. So he's seen zipping up his boots while sitting on the edge of his bed while Dila mm-hmm. standing nearby arranging her hair. It's like, oh, we know what they just did. <laughs> so maybe she's already pregnant with this child. Who knows? Um, this is loosely based on an H.G. Wells short story called The New Accelerator, um, a cartoon episode of The Lone Ranger in 1966, and a 60s episode of Wild Wild West, the TV show, also used this plot uh, from that short story. So it's kind of been passed around in the 60s a little bit. The uh, Star Trek customizable card game, which I actually have and couldn't figure out how to play, features a wild card called Boot Scene, and it's named after the famous suggestive scene uh. with Dila, which you can neutralize the opposing player's Captain Kirk with a beautiful alien woman, <laughs> which I thought was cool. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm playing Boot Scene. Um, when considering the accelerated world, the, the Scalosians and then Kirk and later Spock, when they touched anything, buttons, switches, machines, countertops, doors, etc., at the accelerated speed they were at, it would be so fast that everything they touched would have the same, if not more, muzzle energy as a bullet that's been fired from a gun. <laughs> You'd like touch the console and it would explode. explode. So the heavier the bullet and especially the faster it moves, the higher its muzzle energy and the more damage it will do. So basically everything they touched in the unaccelerated world would blow apart as if it had been struck by a bullet. <laughs> so that wouldn't really work scientifically. Also, in yeah. theory, <laughs> because... Are, are inertial dampeners established this early? I don't know if they mentioned them or not, but they're in theory and canon. They are there already. So, yeah, because in theory, they would have so much inertia traveling around that the trip would the ship would try to fight them in theory. <laughs> That's kind of true. Actually, the inertial dampeners would be like, stop, you're moving too fast. Slow down. I'm dampening you. <laughs> So, oh, man. any truck connection, Muppet connections? Oh, week. man. Leslie Uggams was in Roots, as was LeVar Burton, who went on to be Jordy LaForge in The Next Generation. That's correct. Yes. There is a common misconception that Nichelle Nichols plays the role of Al in the Deadpool movies, but actually it's Leslie Uggams. Yeah, definitely not Nichelle Nichols. <laughs> and in an uh, interview a few years back, uh, some the, one of the interviewers asked her, like, so what is it like being in Deadpool? And Michelle Nichols is like, I get asked that so much. It's not me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Racism. Uh, both Leslie Uggams and William Shatner were in the 1970 TV movie Swing Out Sweet Land, a patriotic look at history starring John Wayne. Weird. Leonard Nimoy once covered Leslie Uggams' song Time to Get It Together. Mm. And Kathy Brown 
who played Dila. Her last acting credit was on The Love Boat. Really? Uh, and as we've established, many, many other Star Trek one-shots and Muppet Show guests have been on The Love Boat. That's right. So many. <laughs> but that's because they're basically the same show, so they're easy to both do. That's right. I mean, like these two episodes, same episode, both have a primary lover jealous of a new arrival stealing attention. We have Camilla with Gonzo and Big Bird, and then Rail with Kirk and Dila. So that's yeah, I said that. Both featured lover's jealousy. Absolutely. Uh, in Star Trek, the crew mistakes Kirk's sped-up voice for the buzzing of a fly, and in Bear on Patrol, Link Hogthrob mistakes Fozzie's voice for the convict. <laughs> That's true. Uh, both episodes have someone trying to get physical affection in unscrupulous ways. We have Gonzo by pretending to faint and needing mouth-to-mouth from Camilla, or mouth-to-beak, rather, and then Dila whisking men off to their wavelength until they are docile so they can have sex with her. Very nice. unscrupulous, I would say. Yeah. Nice. Oh, what's that Transporter noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, it's the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. What you got for us, Steve? Well, this week, Muppets of Trek, I'm going to send Piggy over to replace Dila because she's very protective of her man and willing to resort to violence. I, I actually said that same thing, but the other <laughs> way around. I had Dila be transported over to take Miss Piggy's place. Uh, she'd use that tactic of, you don't want to kiss me now, but eventually you'll become docile and accept me as your lover. She'd do that super well to Kermit. So that's what she's going to do. <laughs> uh, Trek to Muppets this week, I would bring over a sped up Kirk who would cause havoc around the backstage in high speed. Meanwhile, Kermit thinks there's a very destructive fly. <laughs> that would be pretty funny, actually. I'd like that. I would watch that. I would. Uh, I have Dr. Hudson, Bunnydew, and Beaker should transport it over to take the place of Rail and Dila. And Beaker is the jealous lover who tries to kill Kirk. <laughs> nice. I just feel like that nice. would work out really well. That would. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode 67 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Elke Summer. And original series episode, The Empath. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 